This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, could the Suns take a commanding lead in the NBA Finals? The Nats, Bucks, and Oreos wrap up the first half uh, of the season. Who did the Pirates take with the top pick in the draft, which was held yesterday, oh, by the way, in uh, Colorado? We had a thrilling finish at the European Cup 2020. That's right. We're talking soccer like twice within a week's time. That might be a record. And what can Shohei do at tonight's Home Run Derby? All of that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off another work week. Woohoo! Hope you had yourself a fantastic weekend. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. On Facebook. At uh, WCMD Cumberland Radio, all of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them uh, anytime you want to. Leave me a message. Uh, Questions, comments, opinions are welcome. They are encouraged. And if you want to get in on the conversation, get involved, uh, please feel free. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. 301 759 2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301 759 2628. And of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show, every day, minus commercials. Go back and check it out at your convenience. It's all right there. Generally within the first hour, two hours after the show's over, it's up there on the page. So you can go back and check it out. Several ways uh, to get involved. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball where it's been a rough first half of the season for the Pirates. And they were in New York uh, trying to earn a four-game split with the Mets. Bucks trailed 5-4 in the ninth inning. Had a man on third, two outs, with the big Nagowski at the plate. And the pitch. And a line drive base hit into center field. The big Nagowski. He's the dude. He just tied it up with a single to center field. Do you believe it? John Nagowski, who has been on fire since coming over from the Cardinals, tied the game at five. And then, two batters later, it was Wilmore Defoe time. Pitch. Round ball. Base it into left field. The Buckos lead it. Wilmer Defoe slaps it into left. Nagowski scores. The Pirates lead 6-5. to five. And booze rain down here at City Field. 6-5 in the ninth. Pirates come all the way back. That was Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. Pirates come all the way back from a 5-0 deficit. 
to beat the Mets 6-5. 22-year-old Rudolfo Castro hit two home runs. He had three in the series. And Michael Perez also went yard for the Bucks. It was the first time since July of 2005 against Milwaukee that Pittsburgh came back from a deficit of at least five runs on the road. They had lost the previous 286 times. That's ama- to me, that's amazing. Not that, you know, five-run rallies happen a lot. But since July 2005, they had been 0-286 when trailing by at least five on the road. Uh, elsewhere, the Orioles and White Sox were trying to end the first half on a high note, and they went to extra innings. Sox trying to unbreak this tie. The 3-1 angle with a high drive. Well hit, deep left center field. It is gone! It's a three-run homer! Whoa, baby! 7-4, to four. Adam Engel with a huge blast. The call on ESPN 1000. Adam Ingles, a three-run shot, gave Chicago a 7-5 win in 10 after Trey Mancini's two-run homer tied the game in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Andrew Vaughn homered twice for the White Sox, who went 7-0 against the O's this season, swept the season series. It's the first season sweep of at least seven games against one team in White Sox history. Austin Hayes hit a two-run homer in the first inning for the O's. And the Nationals limped to the first half finish line against the Giants. Casale to deep center field. Victor Robles going back. All the way back. Gone! He's done it again. Kurt Casale, man, what a hot streak. His fourth home run of the year. 420 to center field to make it 3 nothing Giants. The call on NBC Sports Bay Area, Kirk Casale's three-run shot is all the Giants would need to beat the Nats 3-1 and sweep the three-game series in San Fran. All-star Kevin Gosman, you Orioles fans remember him, struck out nine and held Washington to just four hits in six innings. He lowered his ERA to 1.73, second best in all of baseball uh, behind Jacob deGrom's 1.08, Starling Castro had three of the Nationals' four hits. And in college football, in case you missed it on Saturday, uh, West Virginia received its 13th verbal commitment for the class of 2022 and eighth in the last five weeks. In safety, Christian Stokes from Harper Woods High School in Michigan, at 6'1", 195 pounds, Stokes is considered a three-star prospect by rivals. He also holds offers from Maryland, Michigan State, Penn State, Syracuse, and Iowa, among many others. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so uh, first half of the Major League Baseball season is in the books. And this held true when I was working in newspaper. And it holds true today in radio. This is the absolute worst time, uh, pandemic notwithstanding, the worst time to be covering sports. Like the the Major League All Star Break 
absolutely stinks. Because this is the time when nothing, there's nothing going on. Nothing. Yes, we have the NBA Finals. It's late. Again, pre-pandemic. I mean, it was really bad last year. It was, I mean, there was literally nothing going on. Pandemic hit and all sports stopped. You remember. It wasn't that long ago, although it feels like it. (laughs) That was the worst of the worst. That was the worst of the worst. Pre-pandemic, this was the worst time ever because NHL and NBA were already done. They were already in the books. We've never had an NBA Finals go this late. So at least there's that. And we'll get to that uh, bucks suns game later on in the hour. Game three uh, yesterday in Milwaukee. But this is this is the time where you just dreaded it, especially working in the newspaper. There's nothing. Yeah, you, you had to fill a page. Like, I have to fill two hours of the show with my hot air. Newspaper, you had to fill the page with something. And it was just, boy, you could not wait for the second half of the season to start. This week, and it wasn't by design, just the way it worked out. I am so happy. This is a short week for me. I am so happy that I took Thursday and Friday off. Taking a little long weekend trip to my brother's house down south. Got to get away. Can't wait to get away. And I'm so happy it, it fell during the All-Star week. Or this would have been one of the longest weeks of my life. It still might be if there's three days. You never know. But anyway, uh, first half of the season in the books. Uh, home run derby is tonight. All-Star game is tomorrow in Colorado. Orioles and Pirates. Finished the first half in last place of their respective divisions. The O's have the worst record in the American League and second worst record in all of baseball at 28 and 61. They are 26 games behind Boston in the AL East. To put it another way, they almost they almost trail the Red Sox, by as many games as they've won this year. They've won 28. They trail Boston by 26. Pirates, a little better. Not by much, but a little. Uh, they have the second-worst record in the National League at 34-56. and 56. Eight more wins than the O's. Bucks are 18 games behind Milwaukee in the NL Central. And then there's the Nationals, who, remember, made that great push to get two games over 500. They got to within four games of the first-place Mets. They finished the first half losing 9 of 11 and are now 42 and 47, six games behind New York. And again, and we discussed this last week, the schedule makers did the Nats zero favors down the stretch. Washington had to face the top three teams in the NL West, who happened to be three of the top four teams in the National League, Dodgers, Padres, and Giants. Nationals had won 10 of 13 before facing that murderer's row. Then they were swept in four by the Dodgers, split four with the Padres, and were then swept in three by the Giants. 
and the killer was that last game in the Padre series, right? When the Nats blew an eight nothing lead and lost nine to eight. Otherwise, they would have taken three of four from the Pods and maybe felt a little better, a little better uh, going into the All Star break. And uh, guess who they have to kick off the second half of the season? They get to host the Padres for three games this coming weekend. I don't know what the Nationals did to upset the schedule makers, but that's a pretty brutal stretch. Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Padres. That's that's rough for anybody, especially a team trying to climb back into contention. Now, look, Nationals are by no means – are they out of it? Anytime you're still kind of hovering around that 500 mark – at the All-Star break, you are still in contention, especially with the trade deadline coming up. Because after uh, this weekend series with the Padres, things get a little easier. Uh, they have three against the Marlins and then three with the Orioles. Then the Nats begin a 20-game stretch where they'll play 17 games in the NL East. They got the Phillies eight times. I can't remember the last time the a team played two four-game series against the same team within a relatively short period of time. After the Orioles series, they had the Phillies for four, then the Cubs, and then the Phillies again. Four gamers against the Phils, a three-gamer against the Cubs, another four-gamer against the Phils. They had the Braves six times and the Mets three times. And Atlanta took a major hit over the weekend, and it was it was a terrible sight to see. You hate to see anybody go down, all right? Anybody. You don't want to see injuries to anybody. But, man, when it's a, a, a young superstar like Ronald Acuna Jr., he's gone for the rest of the year with a torn ACL, major blow uh, to the Braves right there. So that 20-game stretch – with 17 in the NL East, could go a real long way in determining how that NL East shakes out to see who stays in contention and who may just fall off completely. So the Nationals still in it, still in the conversation. Pirates and Orioles, eh, not so much. <laughs> they're, they're just playing out the string. Right? Now, now we get to wait and see... Who they, who they decide to unload at the trade deadline. right? That's the next big thing for the Pirates and the Orioles. To see who will still be on the team after the deadline. I do not expect. I would be shocked if Adam Frazier is still on the Pirates after the deadline. I think they're going to unload him to a contender for a bunch of prospects. Having a career year. Right? Starting second baseman for the All-Star team in the National League. He leads, it was he, uh, he leads the National League in hitting right now, second in all of Major League Baseball in hitting. He's not sticking around. I know the White Sox have been calling uh, the Pirates about him, about Frazier. Uh, I just saw who was the other team I just saw here over the weekend who expressed interest in Frazier. Oh, shame on me. I can't remember. Should have wrote it down. I didn't. Anyway, you get the point. There are several teams interested in Adam Frazier. He'll be gone. Brian Reynolds, I think he'll stay put. 
I don't think the Pirates will trade him. Bucks could trade uh, Richard Rodriguez, the closer, to someone who needs bullpen help. And then you got guys who, like Lazarus rising from the dead, John Nagowski and Wilmore Defoe are suddenly making names for themselves. Nagowski, who was batting 091 with St. Louis, <laughs> gets traded to the Bucks, and in 12 games, he's hitting 500. 500 in 12 games with the Pirates. And Defoe, who the Pirates DFA'd, or they put him on waivers, nobody picked him up. So the Pirates bring him back, and he has been coming up with big hits. So you have guys like that who are making some noise that attract attention. You know, they attract the attention of other contenders. I shouldn't say other contenders, but contenders. So those guys could, I mean, Nagalski is just one of those stories that you have to see to believe. I mean, you look at this guy, he stands, he looks like he's three foot tall. He's one of the, he's built like a, a like a fire hydrant. He's short, stocky. But he just comes over to the Bucks. Again, he was like a, a journeyman. He had been with a couple teams, like bounced around, played independent ball, I think, Eastern League ball. Cardinals have him. He's not very good there. 091. The Pirates pick him up, and then all of a sudden, and, and look, he's one of those guys. When you're a pirate, when you're a fan of a team like the Pirates, who are obviously going nowhere, he's one of those guys that makes the this season interesting, right? Because again, picked off the scrap heap, and he's hitting 512 games. Now, obviously, he's not going to keep on that that tear, but it's fun to watch. It really is. The Orioles, I don't even know. Look, your guess is as good as mine. Who they could trade? Like, I don't have a clue. John Means would have fetched some good prospects, but he hasn't pitched since, what, early June? He still has that shoulder strain. He's damaged goods right now. I don't think the O's could get for him now what they could have gotten for him you know, when he was still healthy. Anthony Santander could go. Cedric Mullins is interesting. He's having the best year of his career. He won't be a free agent until 2025. So the O's still have him under contract for another three seasons after this one. He's only 26, and he could be a good building block for the rebuilding Oreos. Mountcastle's there, Austin Hayes. Got some good young pieces. So Mullins, man, I don't know. If the, if, look, if you want to strike while the fire's hot through the Orioles, because this might be the best that Mullins ever is, and you can fetch some good prospects for him, then you might want to unload him. You want to keep him, again, under contract for three more seasons. Keep him around, a, a good building block, we'll see. After the trade uh, the trade deadline, it's, you know, it's NFL training camp in, Pitt, in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Let's be real. Nationals still in the conversation. Uh, Bucks and O's after the trade deadline, forget about it. It's training camp season. It's training camp time in uh, in those two cities. So that's where those three teams kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, stack up. 
heading into the All-Star break. When we look at the entire standings, and we mentioned some of these teams already, we'll run down the list. Uh, in the American League, Red Sox, uh, they hold a game-and-a-half lead over the Rays in the AL East. Uh, Jays and Yanks are both eight games back. And then, of course, there's the Baltimore Orioles at 26. In the Central, the White Sox, they hold an eight-game lead over the Indians. Can you believe that? White Sox are 54-35. and 35. Indians, only three games over. Everybody else, eh, forget it. Like that, that's, that, the AL Central is a two-team race right now. They're a two-team race. And that race might not even be that close when all is said and done. In the AL West, the Astros lead the A's by three and a half. And Seattle is seven back. Over in the National League, talk about the Mets. They're in first place still. In the East, they're three and a half. And again, that, that may be the most disappointing division in all of baseball this year. We thought going in, with all the moves made in the offseason, that that division was going to be stacked. It was going to be uber competitive, which it is, but for the wrong reasons. Nobody is that good in that division. Nobody. You got the Mets in first place at 47 and 40. There are seven games over 500. The Phillies are at 500, 44 and 44, and they're three and a half back. Braves are four back, and again, they suffered that huge loss with Acuna, Acuna Jr. Nats are six back, and then the Marlins are still they're sitting there at nine back. And that's why I say, even though the Nationals, tough stretch to end the first half of the season, they're still right there because the rest of that division, nobody's going to break away. Nobody. They could be in contention with a 500 record in the last month of the season. NL Central, Brewers lead at the break. Uh, they are four games up on the Reds, eight up on the Cubs and Cards. And then the NL West. The NL West is what I thought the NL East was going to be. You have three of the top four teams in the National League in that same division. The Giants go into the break with the best record in all of baseball. 57 and 32. They have a 640 winning percentage. That's their best win percentage at the break in like 15 years. Dodgers are two back. The Padres... Padres are 53 and 40, and they're six games out. Rockies and Diamondbacks, who cares? So that NL West, I I think it could produce. What do we have this season? Did they go with the expanded? I can't even remember if they went with the uh, expanded playoffs or not. We have more wild cards this year. I can't remember. Some things they carried over from the pandemic season. Some things they didn't. There has, oh, speaking of which, uh, before we go to break here, there has been discussion, there has been talk, there has been some scuttlebutt that Major League Baseball, the Players Association, is pushing to go back to nine-inning doubleheaders, to scrap the seven innings and go back to nine. I, for one, uh, am all for it, please and thank you. Let's get those seven-inning doubleheaders, let's take it, put them, trash it, flush it, and never do it again. Not a big fan. I know some people like the fact that games are shorter. I I don't care. I hope the MLBPA keeps on pushing that and gets it back to nine-inning doubleheaders. 
But looking at these records, and again, I have to look it up during the break as far as who makes the playoffs this year, how many teams. But we could see the NL West put three teams in the playoffs. Like I said, the Padres, they're 53 and 40, and they're six games out because that division is absolutely stacked. So that's how things look in the standings, Major League Baseball-wise, heading into the All-Star break. Again, home run derby tonight. We'll talk about that later in the show. When we come back, yesterday was the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. Pirates had the number one overall pick. Who'd they take? I'll tell you after the break. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. That uh, rejoin right there, in case you didn't know, uh, that song right there was down uh, by 311. And I mentioned at the start of the show, this is a short uh, week for me. I took Thursday and Friday off. I am heading down south to my brother's house. And something that uh, we do once a year is uh, we get together with some of our, you know, uh, better friends, our good friends, and we just kind of hang out for the weekend. Something I highly recommend uh, that everybody try to do at least once. Try to, well, yeah, you can sit there and text and FaceTime, and, you know, it's much easier to communicate with people these days than it was, you know, back, you know, back when I was a wee lad, right? If you wanted to communicate, you had to pick up the phone and call them, or you had to go see them. I mean, that was it. That was your only two means of communication, unless you wanted to write them a letter, which took about three weeks. So I would highly recommend that you set some time aside to just go, you know, spend some good, you know, face-to-face time. Anyway, point being, uh, it's it's inevitable that when we get together, the subject will, it'll usually surround two things, sports and music, right? And... With the group, that particular group I hang out with, we are all kinds of different levels of taste in music. I mean, you. I think we cover basically all of it. <laughs> we cover the entire musical spectrum when we're together. And when that happens, you, you tend to, you know, rag on each other about who they like. Like, well, I can't believe you listen to that. I can't believe, you know. So my, my, my buddy Sean hates 311. Can't stand him. Can't stand him. They're one of my favorite bands ever. So what we decided to do this year is we were, we were each allowed to put together an hour playlist. One for Friday, one for Saturday. Whatever we want. Whatever we want. And then and the other people can't say anything. Like you're just, you're whether you hate them or not, you just have to live with it. So I plan on putting at least a half hour of 311 on one of my playlists just for Sean because he loves him so much. Anyway, uh, back to Major League Baseball. Uh, They held the first round of its draft yesterday in Colorado. Uh, Rounds 2 through 10 begin today at 1 o'clock, and the Pirates uh, were first on the clock. With the first pick... Of the 2021 MLB Draft, the Pittsburgh Pirates select Henry Davis, a catcher from the University of Louisville. The Pirates go with a backstop at pick number one, Henry Davis. As you heard the commish say, out of Louisville, regarded by some as the best hitting prospect 
of this draft. Uh, Davis hit 380 with 15 homers and 48 RBI in 50 games with the Cardinals last season. He was a 2021 All-ACC selection and was ranked fourth in ESPN's top 200 uh, draft prospects immediately after getting picked. He spoke with MLB Network's uh, Lauren Gardner. First overall pick. How do you like the sounds of that? I know they like it. I'm pretty excited. (laughs) Were you at all surprised? We knew you were probably going to be in the top five, but first overall, what was your reaction when your name was called? Just fired up, ready to go, ready to get to work. Super excited. We were talking before all this began about your reason for coming here to Denver today, and that was for your family. Aside from thank you, what's your message to your family right now? Uh, I mean, they've done so much for me. Everybody's sitting there. I mean, I wouldn't be here without them. Nobody... Nobody does anything special alone, and you hear it all the time. You win in life with the right people, and I definitely have the right people by my side. You're going to make me cry. I think you're not going to have a dry eye in the house here, my friend. For all the Pirates fans out there watching, what are they getting in you? Ooh, hard worker. I want to win. Competitor. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to help this organization get to where it needs to be. So... There were some insiders who thought the Bucks might go with uh, Marcelo Mayer, who's a shortstop out of East Lake High School in California. Uh, he dropped to fourth to uh, the Red Sox. Davis, by the way, on top of his home run and RBI stats, he also walked more times than he struck out last season. He had 31 walks to just 24 Ks. He becomes the second uh, Louisville catcher drafted in the first round in recent years after the Dodgers took a Will Smith. He also becomes the second catcher drafted first overall in the past three years. You remember the Orioles took Oregon State uh, catcher Adley Rutschman uh, back in 2019. With the second overall pick, the Rangers took Vanderbilt's Jack Leiter, who went 11-4, 2.13 ERA. He struck out 179. In 110 innings. If his name sounds familiar, it should. He is a son of former Major League pitcher Al Leiter. After he got picked, uh, Jack Leiter uh, spoke with ESPN's Carl Ravage. So, well, you know, everyone looks at Leiter. They know the last name. We're very close with your dad and know all about him. People will say, well, it's Jack Leiter. How hard was it? Why don't you explain, like, the challenge that you dealt with, if there were many, in order to get to where you are today. What were some of the things you had to deal with to become the second overall pick in the draft? Yeah, there definitely was some. It's not, it's not smooth sailing for anybody's path to get here. And um, I would say that started at a young age when I, was, when I wasn't the biggest guy or the strongest guy. And um, I wasn't even really a pitcher. And kind of just always kept the dream alive. Keep hope alive, he says. Keep the dream alive. At number three, the Tigers took Oklahoma high school pitcher Jackson Job. I told you at four, the Red Sox took the shortstop from East Lake High School in California, Mayor. The Orioles had the fifth overall pick, where they selected Colton Kowser out of Sam Houston. Uh, Kowser was named Southland Conference Player of the Year after hitting 374 with 16 homers, 52 RBI, and 61 runs scored. With pick number 11, the Nationals took Brady House 
a shortstop from Winder. Is it Winder or Winder? I don't know. Anyway, it's the Winder or Winder Barrow High School uh, in Georgia. So there you go. The Bucks go catcher. The Orioles go outfielder. The Nats go shortstop in the first round of the draft. Again, rounds two through ten. I think I think there's like 84 rounds in baseball's draft. I don't know. Slight exaggeration. Uh, <laughs> rounds two through ten today, beginning at one o'clock. All right, uh, one more break and back to uh, wrap up hour number one. Stick around. WCMD. This is the morning rush. Uh, tonight is the home run derby in Colorado. The Nationals' uh, Juan Soto uh, taking part in this year's derby, as is really the talk of the town, the man of the hour, the Angels of Shohei Otani, who has just been, who's just taking baseball by storm, right? 32 home runs in the first half of the season, 69 RBI, not to mention a 4 and 1 mark as a starting pitcher. Just really, just rarefied air, right? No pun intended, being in Colorado, but the things he's done this season. And we don't get a chance to see him a whole lot because he plays on the West Coast. If you're like me, man, you're in bed before the Angels even start playing when they're out there on the on the West Coast. But we'll have a chance to see him in the home runs every night, all-star game tomorrow, showcase his talents. Hopefully we'll get the chance to see him. Then, you know, hopefully the game starts before 9.30. <laughs> Alden Gonzalez. Uh, MLB reporter for ESPN is out in Colorado, and uh, he talks about uh, the show that Shohei could put on. The one thing that um, you glean from people who have been around him is that everybody has a favorite story of a ball that Shohei Otani hits during batting practice. (laughs) His power, um, based on what people say, is just basically unmatched. And one BP home run that people point to with Shohei Otani actually occurred here at Coors Field, May of 2018. This was obviously more than three years ago. People still remember that. It was a ball that he hit to right center field that would have landed on the rooftop of Coors Field if not for the railing that it banged against. And it's basically, from what I've heard, it's the longest home run anybody had ever seen a left-handed hitter hit in this ballpark. And so when you consider that, and you consider how much stronger Shohei Otani is since 2018, how much better he is, the fact that those baseballs are not going to be placed on a humidor, the fact that those baseballs are going to be really tightly wound, I mean, people are expecting a show. Everybody that I've spoke to, spoken to now, granted, they might have some bias here. They expect Shohei Otani to win. Coors Field, oh. particularly to the right side, is massive. It is very tall. You have to hit it really, really high and really, really far to leave that stadium. I don't think it's ever been done. Some people think that Shohei might do it. I feel like this is really a a presentation to him for all those who maybe aren't catching the Angels, aren't following, but just know that this is an immense talent. Talking about his career trajectory, Alden, when you're this dominant on both sides, both as a a pitcher and as a guy at the plate with a bat, uh, does there become some consideration of longevity for a guy like this and protect him because there is an injury history of thinking, do we really want to, despite the talent, showcase him in all these ways, or do we want to hone in on maybe not using him in both regards? Do you envision a conversation like that ever coming to light to protect his longevity? I mean, I'm sure those conversations have already been had. I mean, you have to consider the injury history that Shohei has already had since he came over to the United States. 
which includes Tommy John surgery, it includes a little forearm injury, it includes knee surgery. Um, but this was a decision that the Angels made heading into the 2021 season. And they didn't say this publicly, but from the outside, my perception of this was always that 2021 might represent Shohei Otani's last real chance to prove that he can be a traditional two-way player, which was why he came out here in the first place. He came to the United States set on doing this. He chose the Angels because they told him they were going to give him the opportunity to do this. And I think, you know, one thing that Joe Madden, the Angels manager, has said is that he wants to give Shohei Otani the freedom to just take control of his own career and not place so many restrictions on him. And he feels, he feels like if he, does, if he approaches it that way, he'll get the best version of Shohei Otani. And so far, that has proven to be true. And so I think while they are mindful of just the workload that is involved with this and just the concerns about whether or not this is even sustainable, my sense is that they're going to ride this out until Shohei Otani proves that he cannot do it. And there's been, so far, the way that he's navigated through this season, I don't think there's any reason to believe that Shohei Otani cannot do it. Now, obviously, this is really difficult to do over a long stretch of time. Babe Ruth was not able to do this in 19, continue to do this in 1919, and this is pre-integration, a completely different game. Everything now is so highly specialized, which is what makes what Shohei Otani is doing so impressive. But at the same time, it's also really difficult to sustain. Uh, Babe Ruth also uh, drank a six-pack and ate 15 hot dogs between innings. That's all I'm saying. Babe Ruth wasn't exactly the epitome of health uh, back in the early <laughs> when he played. Nutrition, uh, medicine, physical therapy, training, a bit different now than it was back when the Babe uh, took the diamond. That's all I'm saying. Am I going to sit here and believe that Otani is going to play the rest of his career pitching and hitting? No. Eventually, I think they're going to make him pick one. He's proven he can do it, both of them. I think he's a better hitter than a pitcher. So I think eventually he's just going to become an everyday position player or DH. But for now, enjoy the show because that's what he's putting on. I mentioned that Juan Soto is also in the Derby. He draws Otani in the first round. <laughs> Good luck. Ota- oh, yeah, I said 32. He has 33 homers. Uh, Soto has 11. So that's the 1-8 matchup. The uh, 2-7 matchup, Joey Gallo from the Rangers. Uh, he will face Trevor Story. Story also only has 11 home runs, but he is the hometown kid. He plays for the Rockies. All-Star Games in Colorado, they had to put a Rocky in there somewhere, so Trevor Story gets the nod. In the three spot is Matt Olson from the A's. He will take on the feel-good story of the year, Trey Mancini, the Orioles. That's a 3-6 matchup. Then the 4-5, the uh, Salvador Perez, will take on a Pete Alonso. So there you go. That's your bracket, your seeding for tonight's home run derby. Look, I'm not a huge fan of the. I used to be a huge fan of the Derby and the All Star Game growing up. I've kind of soured on it a bit. I don't. I don't know why. I just. It used to be a big deal. Not anymore. But it'll give us something to talk about tomorrow because Lord knows uh, there won't be much. We'll definitely see how could one Soto pull the upset and knock off Shohei Otani in the first round of the Home Run Derby. I doubt it. But we'll see. 
All right, hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're on the corner doing push-ups. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230 WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. And the podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload the show every day, minus commercials. If you missed anything, go back and check it out. For instance, if you missed the first hour, we talked a lot of baseball. Uh, First round of the MLB draft yesterday. The Pirates, the top overall pick, uh, taking catcher Henry Davis out of Louisville. We talked about the show that Shohei Otani could put on tonight in the Home Run Derby in the thin air of Colorado. Of course, uh, the Nationals' Juan Soto uh, has Otani in the first round of the Derby. Good luck with that. And we also talked about the uh, the Bucks, the O's, and the Nats wrapping up the first half of the season. And that's where we'll start this hour with a rocker on the region. I want to rock right now. It's been a rather rough uh, first half of the season for the Pirates. And they were in New York yesterday trying to earn a four-game split with the Mets. Bucks trailed 5-0 early, then 5-4 in the ninth, had a man on third, two outs, and the big Nagowski at the plate. In the pitch, and a line drive base hit into center field. The big Nagowski, he's the dude. He just tied it up. With a single to center field. Do you believe it? Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. John Nagowski, who has been absolutely on fire since coming over from the Cardinals, tied the game at five. And then two batters later, Wilmer Defoe was at the dish. Pitch. Ground ball. Base it into left field. The Buckos lead it. Wilmer Defoe slaps it into left. Nagowski scores. The Pirates lead 6-5. to five. And booze rain down here at City Field. 6-5 in the ninth. Pirates come all the way back from that 5-0 deficit to beat the Mets 6-5 to five and earn a split of the four-game set. 22-year-old Rudolfo Castro who, before being called up to the Pirates, had played a total of 60 games above A-ball. He had two homers yesterday. hit three in the series. And Michael Perez also went yard uh, for the Pirates. It was the first time since July 2005 against Milwaukee that Pittsburgh came back from a deficit of at least five runs on the road. They had lost the previous 286 times. Now, look, five-run rallies aren't that common anyway. But they were 0-286 before yesterday when trailing by at least five on the road. So that streak is snapped. Elsewhere, the Orioles and White Sox were trying to end the first half on a high note as they went to extra innings. Sox trying to unbreak this tie. The 3-1 angle with a high drive. Well hit, deep left center field. It is gone! It's a three-run homer! Whoa, baby! 7-4. Adam Engel with a huge blast. The call on ESPN 1000. Adam Engel's three-run shot. Uh, gave Chicago a a 7-5 win in 10 after Trey Mancini's two-run homer tied the game in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Andrew Vaughn also homered. He homered twice, I'm sorry, for the White Sox. 
who went 7-0 and against the Orioles this season. It's the first season sweep of at least seven games against one team in White Sox history. Austin Hayes hit a two-run homer in the first inning for the O's. And the Nationals, they limped to the first half finish line against the Giants in San Fran. Casale to deep center field. Victor Robles going back, all the way back, gone! He's done it again. Kurt Casale, man, what a hot streak. His fourth home run of the year. 420 to center field to make it 3 nothing Giants. The call on NBC Sports Bay Area. Kirk Casale's three-run shot is all the Giants would need to beat the Nats 3-1 and sweep the three-game series. All-star Kevin Gossman, you Orioles fans remember him, struck out nine and held Washington to just four hits in six innings. He lowered his ERA to 1.73, second best in all of baseball. Behind Jacob deGrom's 1.08, Starling Castro had three of the Nationals of four hits. And in college football, in case you missed it, on Saturday, West Virginia received its 13th verbal commitment for the class of 2022 and eighth in the last five weeks in safety Christian Stokes from Harper Woods High School in Michigan at 6'1 and 195 pounds. Stokes is considered a three-star prospect by rivals. He also holds offers from Maryland, Michigan State, Penn State, Syracuse and Iowa, among many others. And that is your rock around the region. Back to baseball real quick. So first half of the season in the books, the Orioles and Pirates uh, finished the first half in last place of their respective divisions. The O's have the worst record in the American League, second worst record in all of baseball at 28-61. and 61. They are 26 games Behind Boston in the AL East, the Pirates have the second-worst record in the National League at 34-56. and They are 18 games behind Milwaukee in the NL Central. And then there's the Nationals. You remember, they made that great push. Uh, they won 10 out of 13 to get two games over 500. They got to within four games of the first-place Mets in the NL East. But then they finished the first half losing 9 of 11. Now they are now 42 and 47, six games behind the Mets. And again, it did not help. They had to play the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants the last three series of the first half. Dodgers swept the four game series, Padres split the four game series, and the Giants swept the three game series. That's just, that's insane. I'm guessing whoever made this schedule will not be getting a Christmas card from the Nationals uh, anytime soon. And then guess who the Nationals have coming out of the break? Guess who they get to host for three games this weekend? Uh, The Padres. (laughs) So there you go. Still, though, the Nationals in contention uh, because of that crappy NL East. And there is, and I mentioned this in the first hour in case you missed it, uh, after that series with the Padres, Things get a bit easier. They got the Marlins for three, and then they got the Orioles. And then they have a 20-game stretch where they play 17 games in the NL East. I guess you want to throw the Marlins in there 
that would be, what, uh, 20 games out of 26 in the NL East after the Padres series? That's going to go, they got uh, the Marlins three times, the Phillies eight times, the Braves six times, and the Mets three. That stretch could go a long way in determining whether the Nationals stay in contention or completely fall out in the NL East. 20 games out of 26. That stretch right there in the NL East. That's incredible. Or is it 20 out of 20? Yeah, 20 out of 20. That's right. But at least they're in contention. All we have now for the Pirates and Orioles is to see who they trade (laughs) at the deadline. (laughs) Because you know that's coming up next. They're just playing out the string, right? They're just going to call guys up to see who. I mentioned the Rodolfo Castro for the Pirates, right? Two home runs yesterday, 22-year-old. So we'll see. Again, Adam Frazier is not going to be around the Pirates much longer. He'll be traded. The Orioles, I don't even know if they can trade anybody. I don't know. Who would you take from them right now? Seriously. The Orioles called you today and said, hey, we'll make a trade. Who are you going to take? You want to take John Means? He hasn't pitched since early June. You want to take Anthony Santander? That's fine. Orioles, there's no way they're trading Trey Mancini. Not after everything he's been through to come back and play this year. There's no way. Cedric Mullins, eh, maybe. He's having a really good year. But the O's still have him under contract for three more years after this season. Do you want to trade that kind of control away? I don't know. So trade deadline will be in a couple weeks. And we'll see who the Pirates and Orioles unload. We'll see who the Nationals try to get, maybe, to stay in contention. And then after that, it's uh, NFL training camp time in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. That's usually usually how it works uh, around here in these parts. All right. Uh, what are we doing now? NBA. Okay, last night in Milwaukee, the Bucks and the Suns played game three of the NBA Finals. Suns uh, trying to take a 3-0 stranglehold on the series. No team has ever rallied from a 3-0 deficit to win a playoff series in NBA history, so it was it was as close to a must-win game as you could get for the Bucks. Phoenix they led out of the gate early, jumped out to a six-point lead, and led by three at the end of the first quarter, 28-25. But after that, the Bucks took over. Holiday dribbles right to the three-point line, pass off to Lopez. He'll shoot the long three. It's an air ball. Tucker saves it on the end line to the cutting yards for the slam and the lead. The offensive rebounding is absolutely killing Monty in frustration. He gets up off the bench quick, sort of very emotionally calls a timeout. Giannis with a left-hand dribble against Crowder into the mid-post. Backs down Crowder deeper. Turns. Easy layup. 14-2. Bucks run. They're up six. Middleton up high. Giannis sets the screen. Middleton darts to his right. Finds Portis. Open corner three is good. The right corner again. Magic for the Bucks. They lead by 13. Bucks close out the first half on a 30-9 run to take a 60-45 lead into the half. Start of the second half, they kept the pedal to the metal against those Suns. Giannis, baseline right. Puts it on the deck, puts it over Booker, missed. Chase down the loose ball, puts it in, and one! Giannis owning the third quarter, 
and the Bucks have gone up 16. Giannis dribbling with the shot clock off and seven seconds to go in the quarter. He'll pass it off to Connaughton. He'll launch a three. It's good! 98-76 Milwaukee. Giannis outside the high post left. Turns on Crowder. Explodes toward the basket and stuffs with two hands. They can't stop Giannis tonight. He's up to 39. He's just a physical force with enough of a handle that if you're in his grill, he's going right around. Bucks cruise to a 120 to 100 victory. They get right back into the series. They now trail two games to one. Game four will be on Wednesday. Again, I hate, I hate the two day break between games. I don't understand the purpose of it. Stupid. Anyway, Giannis went off 41 points, 13 rebounds, six assists for the Bucks. He joined Shaquille O'Neal as the only players in NBA history to have back-to-back games of at least 40 points and 10 rebounds in the NBA Finals. After the game, Giannis spoke with ESPN's Malika Andrews. Giannis, back-to-back 40-point games for you. You said that this series, to win it, it was going to be all mental. What type of mental focus did you bring tonight? You know, we knew, we knew what type of game it's going to be. Uh, we knew that we had to come here, play good basketball, compete as hard as uh, possible. And I was just trying to be aggressive, just trying to make the right play and take the position at a time. From the opening tip, you were looking to get your teammates involved, it seems. Why was that a point of emphasis for you? I was just trying to get downhill, um, you know, open up drive lanes. And uh, I knew that I had to try to get Chris involved, Drew involved, all of them involved. And uh, if I had patience, I knew I was able to, you know, break the defense. So, but at the end of the day, my mental, uh, what I think, mental is always stay aggressive, always try to get downhill. And uh, after that, just try to make the right play or right pass. You shot incredibly well from the free throw line tonight. Not a lot of people counting one, two, three. What was working for you? Uh, you know, just trying to focus on myself, focus on my technique, focus on my body. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, once you see a few going in, then you get a little bit more confidence and uh, you make a few more. But, uh, you know, my teammates just they keep keeping me accountable. Um, they want me to be aggressive. They want me to get in the free throw line. They believe in me that I'm going to knock um, those shots down from the free throw line. So that's what I'm trying to do. You've been here before against Brooklyn. What's the key to not letting go of the rope in game four? Uh, we know we know what type of game is going to be. It's all going to be mental. In order for us to be uh, back to this series and uh, gives us give ourselves an opportunity to win this game, to win this series, um, to be to be champion, we got we got to break it. Game four, we got to break it. We got to play together. We got to believe in our winning habits. Uh, we got to stay aggressive. So it's all mental right now. The crowd a bit loud uh, in Milwaukee. Giannis also joins uh, Jerry West, Rick Barry, Shaq, LeBron, and Michael Jordan as the only players with back-to-back 40-point games in the same NBA Finals. Jordan did it four times. He did it four straight games against the Suns, oddly enough, in the 1993 Finals. Four straight Games of at least 40 points in an NBA Finals. MJ, <clears throat> LeBron who? Uh, with more on Giannis's night and the Bucks getting right back into the series. The folks who call the game on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessler, Doris Burke, and John Barry. The uh, Bucks, a win they had to have, couldn't afford to go down three games to none. 
And Giannis Adetokounmpo Doris actually pulled himself out of the game three and a half minutes in, but he came back with a vengeance and goes for 41 points, his second straight 40-point finals game. I don't know if he'll answer the question of exactly what was going on, but clearly it did not bother him a lick. 41 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists. And listen, if you let Giannis get to his game, which is in the restricted area in the paint, you're going to have a problem because there is no force like him in today's game. It's Shaq-like numbers. He is that physically imposing. He's 6'11", 242 pounds, incredibly long strides, uh, vertical threat at the rim, you name it. And unfortunately, without Dario Saric, once Aiton got into foul trouble, Jay Crowder has been doing great work. But it's a physical mismatch, and eventually Giannis is going to wear you down. 12 for 12 in the paint was Giannis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's that's more than wearing you down. That's beating you up. Uh, he was he was terrific. And again, we, we we talked about it during the broadcast. Just this guy being back playing and playing at this level. 41 tonight. 42 in game two. Uh, just sensational. Drew Holiday with the bounce back. The backcourt, as you mentioned before, this game had to answer the bell. They were getting thoroughly outplayed by Booker and Paul. They took care of business here tonight. And then. You know, I, I talk about points in the paint, the second chance points, the fast break points, and the offensive boards. Milwaukee dominated again here tonight, 103 to 54. Uh, you normally don't have a chance to win. Now, Phoenix did get it done in game two, getting dominated there, but they made 23s. Tonight, they only make nine threes out of 31 tries, and that's not going to be good enough. So, if you're relying on making 20 plus threes to win in an NBA final game, you're going to have a hard time. So, Phoenix, back to the drawing board. Uh, but again, as we talked about, it's about that disposition, and it's about playing hard. It's about getting those 50-50 balls. Milwaukee did it. They did it especially well in the second quarter and really put the game away. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to lead you guys. If you're Monty Williams, now you get two days off before game four. Most important thing he's talking about with his club as they look to get that third win in this series. I go back to what happened to them in the Los Angeles Clippers series. And he said, we did not play hard enough for long enough. And they'd never matched, I thought, the level of physicality. Every inch of real estate was earned by the Phoenix Suns. Every inch of real estate was hard. Chris Paul was pressured. Devin Booker was pressured. I'll tell you whose who's stat line doesn't tell the story tonight. Because P.J. Tucker crashing the boards relentlessly. Incredible defensive intensity, physicality. Pat Connaughton, same thing. You know, you need those parts, those ancillary parts, to play their role to perfection. And Connaughton and P.J. Tucker did that. And Mr. Portis, how does a guy, J.B., how hard is that on a player to be pulled in multiple series, sit the pine, and now you got to play in a finals game and come out and play well? Extremely difficult. He got benched in the last three games of the Brooklyn series. He comes back in Atlanta, and he's a major factor in a lot of those games. He gets benched in the second half, as you mentioned, in game two. But he's ready. And a lot of that has to do with communication. If your coaches don't communicate with you, it becomes extremely difficult because your mind just starts racing. And you, you, you need to know why you didn't play. Yeah. At least I, I might not like it, but if you tell me why I'm not, at least there's something I could do about it. And I'm sure he was communicated, and they said, hey, we're still going to count on you. You've been huge for us. And he has, and he, and he delivers tonight. Uh, and this team deserved a win. Uh, they had to, obviously. Their season's on the line. They answered the bell, and now we have a series. And we're going back to Phoenix, so uh, grab your bathing suit. And before we go back to the heat, game four Wednesday night here in Milwaukee at 8 Eastern time, Giannis goes 
plus 40 for the second straight game. 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. The Bucks take game 3, 120 to 100 over the Suns. Phoenix still leads the series 2 games to 1. So, big game for Giannis on the other side. Uh, Chris Paul had 19 points, DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder each had 18 for the Suns. Devin Booker not a great night to say the least. Only scored 10 points. On three of 14 shooting, including one of seven from three-point range. Here he is after the game. Um, I think I, I can get better ones, um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. But, you know, the point of the point of the game is to win it. And, you know, I think there was other things that went on throughout the game. You can say it's a make-miss game, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make the other team miss and get easy opportunities for, for your team. And... You know, we didn't do that tonight. Along with uh, Giannis's big night, Drew Holiday had 21 points. Chris Middleton had 18 after he was non-existent in game two. And uh, ESPN's uh, Tim Legler says it was huge for guys uh, not named Giannis to show up for last night's game. Chris Middleton got off in the first half. It was critical that he do that. Giannis, you know, had another great game, put up big numbers, had a good first half. But to see his co-star alongside of him rolling and in rhythm gave the Bucks a tremendous boost. Bobby Portis was great off the bench. I always talk about where's this supplemental unexpected offense going to come from. You don't know in a given night, but somebody usually gives it to you mm-hmm. in a playoff win. Right. Bobby Portis was huge in the first half. Then... You go now to the second half. DeAndre Ayton picks up his fourth foul early in the third quarter. Suns go small. You know, that depleted front line with no Sarich, it really tonight came to the fore because they have nowhere else to go. They went zone. They're playing five guards basically most of that quarter. And for a while they hung in there because the Bucks were adjusting to guarding five guards and the Suns were scoring. Eventually, though, it was just a consistent offensive rebounding barrage and then three-point shooting. Suns trying to protect the lane, packed in a little bit. Drew Holiday gets going. So all of those things happened for the Bucks tonight. Middleton played well. Holiday played well. The lineup change dramatically affected this game in the second half with that small lineup by the Suns. There's just no way you can keep up with a team that's got Giannis Antetokounmpo on it with five guards. So there you go. Uh, Bucks, I almost said Suns. Bucks get the win. I can't remember if they said it earlier or not, but they hand the Suns uh, their worst playoff loss this postseason, 20 points. Uh, 120-100. Again, game four, Wednesday night in Milwaukee. Oh, you have to love the two-day break in between games. Because, you know, that's necessary. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. When we come back after that, some drama at the European Cup 2020. Some soccer talk. What? That's right. I'm shocked just as shocked as you are. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Did you hear the numbers that Amanda uh, gave out in her uh, news update there during the break? In the state of Maryland, of the 130 COVID-related deaths in June, none of them were vaccinated. All 130 deaths were unvaccinated. 95% of new cases are unvaccinated. 93% of those hospitalized, unvaccinated. 99% of new COVID cases nationwide, unvaccinated. 
It's a hell of a coincidence, isn't it? I'm just saying. I've gone on record as saying that I am a proponent of getting vaccinated, the COVID vaccine. Got it myself. I understand that there may be some side effects, some drawbacks with some people, but that's pretty much anything, right? I'm also going on record as saying you do what you want to do. It's your life. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's okay. That's your life. You do you. I'm just saying. I'm pointing out these numbers. What do we say in sports all the time, right? Numbers don't lie. That's pretty telling right there. Either that or it's one hell of a big coincidence. One hell of a coincidence that all these numbers are unvaccinated people. One hell of a coincidence. Not even one. Not even that's that's a staggering thing to me. That's the staggering number. The 130 people who died in Maryland in June, COVID-related deaths, not a single one was vaccinated. What did Bill Parcells say back in the day? You are what your record says you are. Right now, this record says, I'm just I'm pointing out the numbers. That's all I'm doing. You take them for what it's worth. Take them for what it's worth. Anyway, uh, time, look, believe it or not, this is crazy. And I heard, it's hard for me to believe myself that we're about to talk soccer for the second time in less than a week. I know. And I'm just not a big soccer guy. We've talked about it before. If you are, if you're a big soccer guy or, or girl, you love soccer, that's great. Good on you. I'm just not. And the Euro 2020 final, the European Cup, the final was held yesterday at Wembley Stadium. I'm going to be honest. Didn't even know it was on. Didn't even know it was happening. Until I saw a Chapin Jewel friend of the show on Facebook say they were going to a shootout. They were going to penalty kicks to decide the whole thing. So you know what? That sounds... Interesting. So I switched over. Because I don't even know what I was watching at the time. I have no clue. It might have been the Pirates. I don't know if they're still on or not. But I switched over just in time to see, is it called a shootout in soccer? I know it's a shootout in hockey. And we'll call it a shootout. And I got to tell you, it was pretty exciting. It was pretty, pretty good stuff. Mainly because I, I, you know, I didn't have to watch the first 120 minutes of it. <laughs> it was pretty, it was, it was, uh, now look, Italy, it was England and Italy. And myself being of Italian heritage, I had, you know, a little rooting interest in the short time that I watched it. And Italy had taken a 3 2 lead in this shootout. And England and, and, Excuse me if I mispronounce this. I'm, I'm sure I will. Had a 19-year-old. Is it Bukaya Saka? Is that his name? Close enough? A 19-year-old trying to uh, kick a penalty kick and tie things up. Bukaya Saka, one of the youngest players ever to play in the European Championship. He's got a score here to keep England alive. The shot stopped, denied, and Italy wins the shootout 3-2 to win its second European championship, the first coming back in 1968. 
It uh, It's their sixth major championship overall. First major title since they won the World Cup back in 2006. I actually remember watching that again. Italy. Their six major titles is second most among European countries, one behind Germany's seven. England has now gone 55 straight years without a major tournament title. They're the third straight country to lose a Euro final when hosting the Euro final. And England, they took the lead inside of two minutes into the game. Luke Shaw scored the quickest ever European Championship final goal one minute and 57 seconds into the contest. ESPN analyst uh, Taylor Twyman told Scott Van Pelt last night that that may have not been the best thing. This is going to sound absurd. It actually hurt them. And what I mean by that is, listen, the tournament was set up for England to lose. This was their sixth game of seven games played at home stadium. But they played the entire tournament very pragmatically. They weren't aggressive. And yet you punch Italy in the face. You score the first goal. Now all of a sudden, yeah, you're celebrating. You're in a European Cup final at home. But you're looking around saying, wait a minute. This is not how the script is supposed to be. We were supposed to absorb Italy for about 60 minutes and then try to catch them on the break with our superior bench. So it actually hurt England in the end because they get the early lead, which traditionally they can't keep those leads at home. And then all of a sudden they were a little uneasy with how to handle that lead. And it showed particularly in the second half. But if we get back to the Italian side, and you made this point throughout, they missed the World Cup. This, This proud soccer nation and how do they respond well they respond this way what what's what's the best way to frame what italy did in euro 2020 the darkest day of the italian federation was on november 13 2017 when they failed to qualify for the world cup for the first time in 60 years and yet they took it in stride they looked at it they retooled no rock was left unturned they revamped their style italy traditionally was a team that sat in, defended, and relied on a goalkeeper. Well, they did a little bit of that tonight. But more importantly, they returned to exactly where they've always been, in major tournaments, champions, and in the final. And so they are an unbelievable example, Scott. And you know this is coming straight from my heart because the United States also failed to qualify for a World Cup that they shouldn't have missed. And yet they're a great example of that darkest day. You can either look it, stare it in the face, and say, you know what, we're going to forget you. I think for all Italians, whether it's in the United States or around the world, November 13, 2017 feels like it was centuries ago because they made up for it and went on an unbeaten streak of 34 games. So Italy gets the win. And again, the shootout was, you know, it was dramatic. I didn't mind it. I think what I'll do from now on is I'll just ask Chapin to just uh, call me or text me. Because it... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like a big match goes in, you know, extra time or penalty kicks, or whatever. Just let me know. And then I'll tune in then. I can't sit. I can't. I can't watch a whole soccer game. I just can't. If, again, if you can, that's great. I just can't. Now, unfortunately, uh, the ugly side of people came out after uh, that match. And again, uh, the kid who, uh, he didn't miss the shot. It was saved. It was a good save by the goalkeeper. 19 years old. 19 years old. The pressure. The pressure, right? He was like almost immediately in tears. 
uh, after the save was made. Of course, all his teammates to their credit came over to console him. I mean, he had his head, you know, his jersey over his head. I mean, you could tell uh, he was just devastated. It's a lot of pressure for a 19-year-old kid. And then the ugly side of sports, really the ugly side of people, came out after that because uh, three of England's players, Marcus Rashford, uh, is Jaden Sancho, and then uh, Bukaya Saka, they missed their penalty kicks in the shootout. All three happened to be black. And you saw the mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging races come out on so on the socials after that, just giving out threats and racist comments, and it's just absolutely disgusting. It's absolutely, I mean, it's England's Football Association came out and condemned the state, you know, condemned all, all the, as you would expect, the team came out, like, I don't, I get it, man, people love soccer, you know, it, it's it, people are so passionate about soccer worldwide, but then you see the ugly side of it when that happens. Like, you want to be passionate about a sport or a team, fine. But whenever you immediately go to the socials, go online, and start throwing out racist threats and everything, just, you know, just lock yourself in your basement and stay there. Do us all a favor. Because you're worthless. Seriously. People who did that, they're a 19-year-old kid. It doesn't matter if you're 19. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, but to do that, and losing stinks. But my, if you take it that seriously, what are you doing in your regular life? Seriously, you know what I mean, what are you doing your day to day life? That's the problem with anonymity of social media. That's what happens when you don't have to put your name and your face behind what you put online. People immediately go to socials and just throw out these racist statements. And it's just, it's awful. British police say they're going to investigate these racist posts. I, I mean, good luck. You, you hope they would find them. You hope they would find these people and throw them out in the middle of the square and, and let people stone them, right? The Football Association uh, strongly condemns all forms of discrimination, is appalled by the online racism that has been aimed at some of our England players on social media. We could not be clear that anyone behind such disgusting behavior is not welcome in following the team. We will do all we can to support the players affected while urging the toughest punishments possible for anyone responsible. That was the uh, statement from uh, the England Football Association on those morons, those racist idiots, those brain-dead pieces of trash who go online and issue racist threats to those soccer players. Does that pretty much uh, sum it up right there? Is that pretty much... And Oh, believe me, if you're offended by what I just said right there, then you have a major problem. All right, uh, one more break, and then back to wrap things up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Miami Marlins right-hander Pablo Lopez? Became the second pitcher in Major League history and the first in the modern era 
to strike out the first nine batters of a game. He joins Mickey Welch, who achieved the feat back in 1884. He's the first one to do it since 1900. It's amazing. He is the 11th pitcher in MLB history to strike out nine straight batters at any point in a single game. The third to already do it this season, DeGrom and uh, the Phillies' Aaron Nola did it before that. But he is the first since 1900 to strike out the first nine batters of a game. And again, the second ever uh, joining Mickey Welch back in 1884. The Marlins' Pablo Lopez, a player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about that? So, wouldn't it be cool if you're sitting around your favorite watering hole having a couple sips, and then you turn around, and lo and behold, the Stanley Cup is staring you in the face. Well, that's what happened when Tampa Bay head coach John Cooper took the Stanley Cup to all of his favorite spots on Anna Marie Island, which is that's down where that's right around where the Pirates have a spring training, right? Bradenton. Anna Marie Island is like right there. As a matter of fact, if you watch the Pirates on TV, they usually have, uh, you know, how they have the uh, the ads. The mini billboards behind home plate along the wall. I think you actually see ads for Anna Marie Island at some point. But Cooper just walks in. <laughs> he just walks into his favorite spots with this Stanley Cup. How cool would that be? Ah, you're just hanging out, maybe a couple friends, maybe a long day at work. You stop by the bar, have a couple to unwind, de stress. And here comes the head coach of the Lightning <laughs> toting around the Stanley Cup. That would be awesome. I have a picture with the Stanley Cup. When I visited the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame uh, in Toronto, they have a replica of the cup on display, and you can get a picture of it. I I don't even know where it's at, but I know I have one. So good on John Cooper. I think that's one of the coolest things, by the way. One of the coolest traditions in pro sports is that Stanley Cup winning team, the players – they each get a day with the cup. I think that's cool. Like, you don't see, you know, Tom Brady toting around. He throws it, you know, <laughs> he throws it from boat to boat during a parade, but I don't think any other sport does that. You don't you don't see, you know, the World Series trophy being or, or the uh, NBA trophy. I think that's one of the coolest traditions, that you win the cup, you get to spend it or spend a day with it and do whatever. And trust me, I do believe, I think it was back, I can't remember what year it was, 91, 92. The cup ended up at the bottom of, I think it was Mario Lemieux's uh, swimming pool. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, the thing's been beat up. You saw what the Capitals did with it. My goodness. I don't even know how it survived that celebration. But uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty pretty cool. Good on John Cooper to share it with the Florida fans, Tampa fans, and take it to the local spots. 
All right, uh, reminder, again, coming up here at noon today, the debut of the Dan Bongino Show uh, right here. on. He'll be on Monday through Friday from noon until 3 as we continue to make, uh, you know, some changes, expand our horizons, going from an all sports to, you know, news, sports, talk. That's our tagline, right? WCMD, news, talk, sports, or one of those combinations. So a man is coming up next, Tri-State Today. Two hours of her show, and then we got Hoppy Kirchival talk line from uh, 10 until noon, and then the debut of the Dan Bongino show from noon until 3. So just uh, keep it locked right here. Sports, news, talk, it's all right here on WCMD. Uh, no Nats game tonight. Obviously, it's the All-Star break. Home run derby tonight. We'll have the All-Star game on tomorrow, and we'll talk more about the All-Star game uh, during tomorrow morning show. Again, this is one of the worst stretches for anybody who covers sports because there's not much going on when the All-Star break hits. Fortunately, it's a short week for me. Only got three days, baby. One's already in the books. Then I'm off for a long weekend. So, they didn't plan it that way, but I'll take it that way. All right, thanks for listening. Amanda's coming up next. Stick around. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.